Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Scott, if you don't know who I am. <clears throat> I have not been here uh, for the past five weeks. Uh, I got to give you a little background. I have never in all my ministry years, I've never been away from the preaching or my, the office for five weeks, ever. Uh, I think the longest was four weeks when we were in the Pacific Rim uh, on a speaking engagement, speaking tour. But I've never, I've never been gone for five weeks. Uh, I, don't like, I don't like it. But I got to you a little background because many of you said, hey, how was your vacation? Quite some vacation. So a little quick background here to what happened. Um, thanks to COVID, we have these new protocols in life, of course, to protect one another. So here's what happened. So my wife was with someone who didn't feel well. We found, she found out the next day that they didn't feel well. And immediately being, you know, especially with our, with our access to people, we both said we need to probably just remove ourselves from people till we see what happens. Well, you, wouldn't you know that person, you know, called and said, I'm COVID positive and she was in direct contact. So of course we isolated ourselves to protect everybody. Didn't know if it would, what would happen, so we stayed away. You go through the quarantine period, and just as quarantine's about done, ready to go out, she goes, I don't feel too good. Okay, let's restart the quarantine clock. So we start the clock, and uh, we get through that. feels pretty good. I'm just about ready to, to step. We're out of quarantine, and I wake up one morning, and I go, duh, I don't feel good. I think I have a fever. So we go back into quarantine again. We go through that whole process, and just as we're done coming out of that, we get a phone call from our son, our son and his a wife and, and little girl live close by. He calls, or she calls and says, uh, Adam's got a fever. He doesn't feel, he doesn't feel well. Now, we've, now we, just so you know, we stayed away from him. So don't blame us for anything that happened to him. We stayed away from him. And so immediately we just say this. They're in a small house. We said, listen, come quarantine with us. Get out of the house. Try to protect your, your wife and baby. Come, so two hours later, he's at the front door with his bags, you know. So now he's with us. That's quarantine yet again. Now in the middle of it, I actually did get COVID. It was mild. I didn't have uh, breathing problems, anything like that. Um, but if you look at all the quarantine time, I have 28 days <laughs> of quarantine. It's, a, it's just a killer. 28 days of staying away from everybody to keep everybody safe. Now, I've got to tell you, I, I do have... I, I, I had two symptoms and two things that are residual to me being sick now four weeks ago. The first is I lost my sense of taste. That's horrible. <laughs> so for the first time in my life, I have nothing to do but sit and watch television and eat. And television bored me to death and I couldn't eat anything. That is horrible. But look at <clears throat> Oh, don't applaud. Um, <clears throat> That's just, that's just offensive on every level. <clears throat> uh, and the other thing, I got a cough that just comes and goes. I'm telling you that now because could happen in the middle of this. So just be aware of that. So that, I mean, there's th roughly 30 days. And it was just killer to be away from the body, but uh, good to be back. In that time, the second thing I want to tell you is, you, uh, you know it was mentioned here and put on the screen that my mom passed away uh, at the 26th of August. And I just want to say thank you to everyone, anyone who prayed for us, sent a card. I want, as some of you have talked to me in person, you've heard me say this. There really isn't any sadness. 97 years old, love Jesus, came to Jesus when she, in 1957. From 1957 until 2021, she has just waited and lived to see Jesus face to face. And on Thursday afternoon, August 26, her dream came true. 
And so there was that momentary sadness just of that thought of loss. But friends, when you put eternity into perspective, puts everything down here in perspective. My thanks for your, your prayers and cards. Um, Mom is far better off and I would not want her, wish her back for a moment. But my, my sincere thanks for uh, your care during that time. Some of you uh, brought ice cream over to the house um, during this whole ordeal. I, I like ice cream and I couldn't eat it because I can't taste it. So I'm not thanking you for that. So that was just... <laughs> That was just cruel. So that's, that's where we've been this time, and it's just been killer to be gone. My thanks, I know you, you heard it on the screen, but corn roast was last night. My thanks to all of the people who volunteered to make that happen. It just, it's a massive army. And my thanks to some of you who put hours and hours in uh, cooking corn, picking corn, and just serving the body of Christ. My thanks, my thanks to the Chamberlains uh, for the use of their, their, their home and their farm. Um, Paul and Joan every year have said uh, over and over again, it's like the greatest day. It's the greatest day. I just don't know if the greatest day for me would be having thousands of people in my house. But, but it is for them and our thanks to them. We're glad to have the team for JARS. JARS guys, stand up if you would just real quickly. Uh, Jungle Aviation Radio Services, um, we are glad to have you. So I was talking to one of them yesterday. I won't say who, Jeff, but I talking to him and I said, hey, we'll see you in church tomorrow morning. He goes, well, uh, I don't know if I'm going. What do you mean you're not going to church? He didn't say it exactly. He said, well, you know, we got to fuel up. We got to do these things. But uh, we are so glad to have you guys here. Every other year we have you, of course, we can, we've been kind of washed out, but glad to have jars here. Make sure you get, a, if you haven't signed up yet, there's still openings, some helicopter rides, but even beyond the ride, stop and see what jars is about. And we're glad to have uh, their team with us uh, yet again. It's just, it's a good relationship that we have. And of course, uh, just before I get to the word, I just want to remind you again, you know, we just came off of this 20th year anniversary of September 11th. Yesterday, a lot of people stopping to remember, uh, you know, that event and the impact of our world. I also just want to remind you again, just, you know, that was 20 years ago, but just days ago, 13 of our service members died in Afghanistan. And it reminds me again to say this. One, thank you to all of you who have served or continue to serve either in the armed services, in the military, or as first responders. Because there is danger in the world, there is pain in the world, and there are teams of you who regularly say, I will protect the people. So our thanks to you and also our prayers uh, for those who have lost uh, loved ones. We're going to look at the word together. Let me offer a prayer real quickly. Father, uh, I just begin with a prayer of thanks because I am so thankful to be here. And we thank you for this opportunity to come and worship. I, I just can't imagine... As we've just gone through this worship time, I just can't imagine how people sustain themselves spiritually without coming together as the body of Christ and to worship together. So we thank you for this opportunity. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we'll look to your word today, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts, find our hearts and our minds open to your truth, that your truth would change us and transform us. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I want to talk to you about an absolutely impossible plan. An absolutely impossible plan. Now I'm going to take a little different approach for most of the sermon, so stick with me. It wasn't original to me, the idea of this illustration as we begin. However, when I saw it, I said, oh, I like that. So walk with me for a little bit because I'm going to actually ask you to be time travelers. 
I'm going to ask you to be time travelers and to join me as I am going to take us back in time. So we're all going to be time travelers. We have the great ability to go back in time. Now please know there is no such thing as time travelers. Uh, every now and then I'll read some article and someone says they're the time, they've met a time traveler. There's no such thing as real time travelers, though I will admit that I see some people who seem to be locked in a totally past era um, and can't get out of that. So maybe there might be some support board for it. But I'm going to ask you to go back in time to the year 82, not 1982, but to the year 82. We're going to go back to Rome. And so we're going to make this journey. But before we can leave Essex and make our journey to Rome, I need to give you a little quick history lesson. Now, Jesus' death and resurrection was sometime around the year 30 or 36. So we don't know exactly the year, but in that time frame. Approximately 70 years after that time, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a huge event took place, and that was that Jerusalem was completely destroyed and the temple was com completely destroyed. Now, what led up to that, and please remember that the entire world at that time, the known world, was under Roman rule. The Roman Empire ruled everything. But in the year 66, Jewish rebels, and don't forget, so you have Judea, you have the bottom line Israel, you have Jerusalem, and that whole area was basically being seen over by a, a band of Roman soldiers and a governor. But the people all rose up and over, overwhelmed the Roman soldiers that were there and basically killed them or kicked them out. So for a short period of time, the Jewish people own and run Jerusalem and they run the temple. It's all of theirs. This is in 66. So we have the overthrow of Jerusalem, um, of the Romans out of Jerusalem and Judea. The future emperor named Titus, of course, the Romans aren't going to have this happen. So the future emperor Titus is sent in to take care of business. That's why Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was utterly destroyed under Titus. They came in and basically destroyed everything, either killed the Jewish people or took them all as slaves. The idea of that was when they were done, they weren't going to leave this little enclave of Jewish people in Jerusalem or in Judea. They basically went in, they either killed all the Jews or they took all the Jews as slaves. That's what took place. So we have that picture and the picture that would be in the minds of Titus and the Roman Empire is this. So the Jews are no more. And with them goes their God. The Christians at that point were of no threat at all because they were just a small band. But the idea was that this Jewish God, Yahweh, is now dead. He's done. Jews are dead. It's now finished. It's over. Enough. A few years later, a new emperor comes and his name is Domitian. Domitian is now emperor. And Domitian would begin some of the most horrific persecution of Christians. The Roman Empire with all of their pagan gods and all of their pagan worship, the sacrificing of children, the sacrificing of people, the moral bankruptcy of, of, of any, any nation, any time, they are in charge of the world, the Roman Empire. So, come with me. So now we go back in time and we're heading towards the year 82 and we land in Rome. 
You've always wanted to go to Rome, so we see some of the sites for a little bit and kind of take it in. But while we're looking around, the completion of the 100 days of games is now happening in the Colosseum. The Colosseum is packed full of people, 50,000 plus people. It's the final day, and if you go to the emperor's suite, every dignitary who can be there is there along with every imaginable food or drink. Huge buffet table. Word gets out that the time traveler's in town. I mean, it's a pretty good group of us, so they kind of pick up right away that we're from out of town. We look a little different. And immediately, Domitian calls for us. And so we're brought into the Colosseum. We're brought to his suite. And there we stand before him. Domitian is there. All the Roman senators are there. The Praetorian guards are there, all dressed in purple. Huge buffet table. Man, it is quite a sight in a stadium filled with 50,000 plus people. And the emperor looks at us and he says, So, now, just so you know, either the emperor speaks English or I speak fluent Latin. And, I, and I'm going to go with, I'm thinking he speaks English. I don't have the Latin piece. So he looks at us in English and he says, So, time travelers, give me a report of the future. Give me a report of, my, of, of, of the Roman Empire. What's going to happen? So he says, give me a report. So immediately you all say to me, hey, this is your fantasy. You talk. And so I begin to speak. And I say this, now, Your Excellency, for me to tell you the future, I must remind you of just some of the recent past. You see, Titus, your brother, conquered Judea, conquered Jerusalem, and destroyed the Jewish people. He totally destroyed the temple and, and everything that matters to the Jewish people's faith. But the God of the Jews, he did not destroy. The God of the Jews would not be silence. The God of the Jews, the same God of these Christians, was unscathed by your brother's attack. Now, this might be difficult for you to comprehend and hard for you to believe. But eventually, Mr. Emperor, eventually Rome and the entire Roman Empire will embrace this God of the Jews. They will embrace this man named Jesus Christ. All of the empire will embrace him and worship him. You will come to reject all of the pagan worship and all the pagan gods that you worship right now. In fact, a future emperor will follow you and he will oversee the destruction of every one of your temples. He will destroy all of the, the priests and, and temple prostitutes and he will put in place a law forbidding the sacrifice of any living thing. And in fact, he'll put in place a law that everyone has to worship this God and God alone. And at this, the crowd erupts with boos. And if we look at Domitian's face, it is stern. He's perplexed. He's thinking this through. You're thinking, Scott, just shut up now. I mean, that was pretty blunt what you said. Now, let's be quiet. Let's be careful. We want to get out of this thing alive, even if it's a fantasy and a dream. And Domitian looks stern. The Praetorian guards, while I was talking, had encircled us. Each of them with their hands on their saber, watching Domitian's face for a blink, for a nod, for the go-ahead, and we're done. And so Domitian speaks, and he says this, before I have you and all of your funny-dressed friends thrown into the Colosseum with the lions for this afternoon's entertainment, tell me, great storyteller, how can this be? How could what you're saying, how could that even be possible? Explain that to me. 
So not listening to you who keep telling me to stop talking, I start talking. And I say, well, to tell you how this is going to happen, I need to take you back yet again in history one more time. About 50 years ago, Your Excellency, a guy by the name of John, in fact, his nickname was John the Baptist. He lived in the desert. He lived in the wilderness. And one day he came out of the desert and began preaching, began talking. And he kept saying that something big was about to happen. In fact, he said these words. He said, not only is something big going to happen that's going to change the world, but someone is coming who is going to change the world. People loved him. Everywhere he went, he had a following. And in fact, they began to think that he was the one that was going to change the world. And he kept it saying over and over again, nope, it is not me. It's not me. Someone else is coming. God is sending someone. The people loved John. They followed him everywhere he went. And the people began to think, well, maybe he's the guy. Let's stick close. Now, not everyone loved John's message. In fact, one of, uh, one of the governors, one of your governors actually had him beheaded. But not before he said this. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know, who he, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. And so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Domitian, this Jesus is the one that John talked about. This Jesus Christ, he is the one that was going to come and change the world. Jesus came and in fact when he came he announced that he would be introducing a new kingdom. A kingdom far greater, far stronger, far more reaching than the Roman Empire. An incredible kingdom. But it would be an eternal kingdom. And it would be a kingdom in the hearts of people. He attracted great crowds, but the Jewish leaders, they hated him. He was arrested. He was put on trial. He was found to be innocent, but he was still sentenced to death. He was crucified on a Friday afternoon. He was buried later that same afternoon. And then he was placed in a tomb that was sealed and guarded by your own soldiers. Three days later, they came to finish their preparation for the body. But when they came, the body was gone. How could you explain it? Some said grave robbers, but Domitian, they were your Roman soldiers, the best that you had. Certainly, they would not be overpowered. And then what happened was this. The reports began to come in that people actually saw Jesus alive. I mean, first a small group of a handful, and then it grew by numbers. And in fact, he was even visible before crowds of people talking and teaching. At first, it was a small group that believed that he was alive and was telling the story that he was actually had come back from the dead. But then it grew from dozens to hundreds to thousands. Domitian, his closest followers, his disciples were severely persecuted. In fact, many of them put to death simply for telling the story 
and for saying that they believed it. They were told that they would live if they would recant. Not one of them recanted. And they died telling this story of Jesus. Mr. Emperor, you know that even right now while I speak to you, in your own city, in houses, out in fields, by riverbanks, anywhere they can meet, there are these small groups of people called Christians who meet together and who worship. They all worship Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Domitian, listen close. In the next 230 years, you are going to do everything in your power to stamp out and stomp out these Christians. You're going to do everything in your power to stop the story of Jesus. But you will not succeed. His story will be told and the people will believe and people will follow him. Jesus never visited your grand city. Never had been here before. But his name in the next 300, 230 years, and his name will be etched and carved into the stone of buildings and houses throughout the city. In fact, Mr. Emperor, the gate that you walked into the Colosseum, one day you will walk in and there'll be an enormous cross, wooden cross, hanging in that entryway that you and every other person will walk under. And that cross will not be the symbol of Roman power, that cross will be the symbol of the forgiveness and of the love and of the power of God Almighty and of his son, Jesus Christ. And you will walk under that cross and you and all the people will bow a knee to that cross. That's what's in store for the future. The crowd is silent. Not a word out of 50,000 people. And Domitian speaks and he says, impossible. The cross, a symbol of love. The cross, a symbol of, of forgiveness. All the temples destroyed. Uh, no sacrifices. All the pagan worship gone. All these gods gone. A dead Jewish teacher is going to come and have a following that will change the world. Absolutely impossible. I stand up again. I go, oh, great, great one. And there's more. And do you realize that not only will that happen, but you and all of the Roman emperors before you and after you are going to be nothing but a sentence or two in the history books. You and all your greatness are going to be reduced to a footnote in the history of the world. And yet this man Jesus, this man Jesus Christ, will be recognized as the most influential, most revered, most powerful, and most recognized man who has ever lived. You see, Mr. Emperor, Rome is not eternal, but there is a God who lives and reigns eternal. It was his temple that your brother destroyed. It was his son that your governor crucified. And in fact, it's your empire that God actually allowed to grow and be what it is today for his purpose to tell this story. Now I'm done. I sit down. You are thankful that I'm done. I'm feeling pretty good. Absolute silence. Because what I just said. Now think about this. So you got to get into the story. We're standing before the emperor of the Roman Empire. And what I have just said is inconceivable. What I have just told him is absolutely impossible. Impossible. 
It, it goes beyond, it's so offensive that it go, goes beyond any kind of response other than anger. And so there's dead silence as this world stares in Domitian's face. And then he smiles. And then he begins to laugh. And now he's got a guttural laugh. And the entire place and every person roars and laughs with him because they take their cues from him. They don't know what they're laughing at. Nobody does. But everyone laughs. And then he pauses for a break. He picks up his cup and he says, I want to toast our time travelers. I want to toast our storytellers and comedians. And he looks at me and he says, what a storyteller you are. You had me right to the end. Well done. I toast you. But listen, tomorrow night, I'm having you back for dinner. And tomorrow night, no more fanciful stories. I want, to, I want you to tell me the truth. What's in store for the Roman Empire? Friends, the narrative I just gave to you is a true narrative. It is what happened from the time of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ right up to that 300-year mark where the entire known world at that point was marked as being Christian. Friends, what happened to the Roman Empire, what happened by this influence of this little group of people, which the Bible calls the church, was actually, by human standards, an absolutely impossible plan. That the entire world would change because a little group of people would believe a story and would believe a leader named Jesus and would go out and tell that story from generation to generation. It was beyond anything that anyone could comprehend or imagine. Impossible that a small group of beaten, persecuted disciples could tell a single story of Jesus, never swaying from the story, never deviating from the story, no inconsistencies in the story, all the story with no flaws, no weak points. And that same group, that same group with no earthly human king, no earthly leader would have this story change not only the Roman Empire, but 2,000 years later, we're here because of that story. Friends, you got to look at that story and say, that is incredible. You see, God's plan for his church is an incredible plan. But what happened was exactly what Jesus said would happen. Here's what he said in Matthew 16. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He said to his disciples this. This happened in a place uh, up in the mountains in this beautiful scenic area where water flows out of the mountainside. And he's with his disciples. And he says, well, who do you think I am? And they shout the names out of who the people say that he is. And then Peter says, you know, I think you're the guy. And Jesus says, you know, Peter, you're right. I am the one that everyone's been waiting for. And I want you to know, Peter, here's what I'm going to do. To his followers, he said, listen, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my movement. I'm going to build my gathering. The word from Scripture is ecclesia. I'm going to build my ecclesia. And this group is going to go out. And it's going to be so strong that death and Satan and hell cannot stop this story. I have to tell you, these words must have sounded so hollow to them 
and so unbelievable to these followers of Jesus. Because I want you to remember that we have history to look back at, right? We've got the Bible and we have all of this church history to look at. But think about these 12 guys standing with Jesus in the moment. All they had was him and all they had was what he told them. But I want to remind you that God had a plan and God did not step out of history with a plan. He stepped into history with a plan, an impossible plan that he made possible. A plan that a thing called the church a thing, a plan that a small group of followers of Jesus would actually change and, and radically, radically come into the world with such power that the world would take notice. An impossible plan. But we have all this history to look back at. We can look back and we can look, see and see the days of, of Christ's death. We see all those things that happened and we have now, we can work forward. And now we say, not impossible, but it was impossible to them. And I want you to know this, this impossible plan called the church. It's what invigorates me every day. It's why I get up in the morning and I go, it's another day. Because this idea of the church, this idea of you and me and us having the story of Jesus Christ, that when it's told and people hear, it will actually change their life. It actually works. And it empowers me every day to walk with him and say, Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm living out this dream. I get to live out being a part of the church. God is writing this narrative, this historic narrative of a changed world, and we get to be a part of it. I get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of it. Don't miss out on your part. And here's exactly what's really incredible. By, by all odds, the church thing never should have worked. Because the other thing that Jesus did when he initiated this thing called the church, he had this little time called the Sermon on the Mount, and in that sermon, what Jesus did, he took everything that culture believed and turned it upside down. Everybody said, you know, whoever's on top, they're the winner. Nope, he goes, whoever's on the bottom, they're the winner. You see, the teachings of Christ was totally upside down and backwards to the entire teachings of the world. Think about this. Up until Jesus, the model of the world was this. He who's on top wins. That was the model. Throughout most of human history, what made perfect sense to everybody was this. The person with the gold makes the rules. The person with the might, they're the ones who are right. I mean, that was the whole thought process. And again, think about this. Throughout human history, owning another person, being on top of other people, you being in control of other people was a natural thing and normal thing because that was the mindset. Whoever's on top, they're the winner. Jesus comes, turns everything upside down and says, nope, we're going to be on the bottom. How does that possibly work? And the society that came out of Christianity, that came out of Jesus' teaching, was radically different than all the pagan societies in the Roman society. Because I want you to hear this. Jesus comes and Jesus objects and he rejects infanticide. He comes and he objects and he rejects sexual immorality. He rejects the idea that the might are the ones who are right. He rejects the fact that the rich make the rules. Jesus comes to a society and he insists that women, that women were as valuable and as gifted, as talented as men, unheard of in that culture. He insisted on it. He rejected the owning of people. He insisted on racial equality. 
He insisted that even a society's enemies would be regarded as God's creation. A society, the society of Jesus' followers never should have succeeded. This story should have never worked, but it did. It did. It happened all based on the life and the teaching of this Jewish rabbi named Jesus. And if you ever struggle thinking about how the church really can make a difference, when you look at this world around you, read the news, look at your own community and say, can the church really make a difference? I just want to remind you that you're at home with the disciples. What I mean by that is if you look at this upside living and think, can it really work? The disciples didn't get it either. I mean, they're right there with Jesus. Jesus had a hard time helping them to get it. They just didn't. I love a part, there's one, part of the, one story I'm going to read for you in a second. But I love this story when what happens is James and John come to Jesus and they ask a favor of him. They come and they want to ask a favor. Now I want you to understand, they had already heard the Sermon on the Mount. They already heard Jesus talking about, if you're going to be my follower, you're going to live backwards to everything in the world. And it's just as if they went like this. It's as if they said, okay, yeah, we get that. We've heard that story. But I know that's for everybody else, not for us. And so they come to Jesus and they ask a favor of him. And the favor is simply like this. They say, listen, we get the whole Sermon on the Mount. We get the backwards living. That, you know, that's great for your, the most followers. But, you know, we're your closest people. So here's the question we have for you. When you finally take off your common man robe thing, you know, and all of a sudden we see the big K, the big king thing on your shirt so we know that everyone knows it's you. Our, our question is this. When you're the king, who's going to be your second guy in charge? And who's going to be your third guy in charge? Because we're just saying, I mean, look at our, look at our resume. I mean, we're, we're, we're good nominees for number two and three. And so would you, would you make us number two and three? In fact, here's how the story goes. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. They said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Just stop right there. That's just like my children, right? <laughs> hey, dad, I got a question for you. Will you say yes no matter what I say? You know, and you look at him saying, are you kidding me? I mean, imagine the audacity to come. Hey, we have a question. We just want you to say yes whenever we say. So Jesus says, all right, well, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left. That's number two and number three position. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or I baptize with a baptism that I'm baptized with? They say, we can. They have no idea what they're talking about. We can. Jesus said to them, well, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, now catch this. When they heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together. Why are they angry at James and John? Because they got to Jesus before they did. I mean, how did they, oh, how did, why didn't we think to go with them? And then he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord, lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says this. He says, you guys still don't get this. So sit down. Sit down let me explain it. You are not to be served. You are to go and serve. I did not come to be served. I came to serve. I came to give my life as a ransom to pay your debt and everyone else's. I came to serve. Now you go and serve. We serve. 
And then he said to them this. So if you're up for that, if you're up for going out there and being a servant, then follow me. Then follow me and we will change the world. And they did. And because they did, we're here today. Friends, the church is God's possible plan for changing the world, for changing the country, for changing the state, for changing your town, for changing your street, for changing your neighbor, for changing your coworker. God's plan, the church, is a possible plan. The church is so important. You're being a part of this group called the Ecclesia. God put the church in place because it would be his mechanism for changing lives. And to this whole mix of the church, let me give you our last passage. Jesus put this into play. Matthew chapter 5, he says this. Now listen, you, and when it says you, remind, remember the, who's that talking to? You. Okay, got it. Sharp group. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He says this, if you choose to follow me, you will be salt of the earth. Now listen, everybody loves salt. Everybody, and, and those of us who are, try to be salt-free because of high, high blood pressure, we adore salt. So my, my blood pressure is moderately high, and I don't want it to get worse than that, so I don't salt anything. So I don't salt anything. And I got to tell you, I love salt. I mean, it's got, the joke in our family is this. Our family's salt in their food, and I say, you know, pass me the pepper. I prefer pepper on mine. And the truth of it is, I watch them with envy. Everyone likes salt. Everyone appreciates salt. I mean, that, that's just the way it goes. Now, these guys, as they're hearing this, if you follow me, you will be the salt of the earth. And it's the most sought-after spice. That's, it's hard to put it in the spice category, but it is. It was the most sought-after today. It would be the most sought-after at that time, not just for flavoring, but for preservation. And these guys would hear that you are the salt of the earth and they would be thinking like this we're not the salt of anything no one even knows that we exist I mean we're this little group of we're this, you know, 12 of us nobody even knows that we exist they don't even know we're here I mean we're under the Roman Empire the, 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 the rule of Rome we don't even get to make our own rules or, or lead ourselves we're not anybody's salt yes you are Jesus said yes you are when is salt most appreciated? Not when something is oversalted, but when it's undersalted, right? I mean, you most appreciate salt. You most notice it when it's missing. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are flavor in this world. But if you sit back and do nothing, if you blend in, if you don't get involved in the church of Jesus Christ, if you just stand back and just bide your time, then quite honestly, what are you? It's worthless. Because you see, your purpose is to be out there and salt the world. And if you're not going to do that, something's wrong. Now notice he's talking to you when he says you are the salt. And he's talking to me. And then he says this, and on top of the salt, you are light of the world. 
And let your light shine that they may see your good deeds. I can only imagine that they were thinking how some of us think. See my good deeds. No one sees my good deeds. You ever feel that way? You try to do the right thing and you say, no one even notices when I do the right thing. I mean, why bother? No one sees, no one notices. No one comes up and pats me on the back. My coworkers, when I go out of my way for them, no one walks up and says, man, you were such a wonderful Christian. I just love Jesus because of you and your good deeds. You go, man, no one even sees. No one even notices my good deeds. Nobody notices, nobody cares. Jesus says, follow me. Now listen as we wrap up. Jesus says, follow me because someone will notice when you care for the sick. Even if it's just a sick person. He says, you follow me and, 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 and you go and minister. When you go and minister to people, someone will notice when you minister to, to the imprisoned and their families. Some of them will notice when you give out school supplies to kids go to school or offer haircuts. Some people will notice when you value women and treat people with respect. In the middle of a pandemic, someone will notice when you put your fear aside to minister to the people around you. He said, you go and serve. Some will see your good deeds and it will start them on their journey of following Jesus. Let me give you a closing thought, a closing question, and we're done. This story of Jesus, this idea of being salt and being light, think of it as this. What actually Jesus has done with us is he said, I'm going to make you the stewards of the salt and the light in the world. You're the stewards. You're the ones that control it. You're the stewards of the salt. You're the stewards of light. But remember this, that the value of a life is only measured by how much you give away, not by how much you keep. So you normally think of stewards. We think, I'm the steward of the salt. I got to keep it. But he said, but again, upside down living here. He said, I'm going to make you the steward of the salt. But the measurement of how you're doing is how much salt you give away. The measurement of how you're doing is how much light you shed into this dark world. Friends, here's what it means for me. You have to know this motivates me every day. This is what it means for us. In our generation, we are the stewards of the church. In my generation, I'm the steward of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm the steward of the church, of the faith of our generation. So the question I ask myself all the time is this. I have to constantly ask this. As a steward of the church for my generation, what am I doing with it? As a steward of the story, what am I doing with the story? And so I ask this question of you. So what are you doing with it? You see, in our moment, in our current generation, we are the stewards of the church. We are the stewards of the story of Jesus Christ. Will we just take from it? Get what we can from it? Or will we engage with the church of Jesus Christ? Will we join in with the church of Jesus Christ? Will we dive into it? So one of our staff saw me after being gone for weeks and I jumped back in. And of course, when you're gone for weeks, you jumped in, you're, you're really in. And just in passing, and I say this in the right way because I, I mean it. But he, he looked at me and said, so how you doing? My first thing came out of my mouth. He said, man, I said, I am in the deep end. Now, when you hear that, many of you go, ooh, drowning? No, not drowning in the deep end, just in the deep end. Because you know, all the fun is in the deep end. The fun, I mean, I've used this, this, this picture before, but you ever go to the beach and you see the people who are out in the waves in the deep end just having the greatest time in life and then you see the people who walk in and barely get their feet wet and then, ooh, you know, the fun's out in the deep end. 
You know, you see the people that stand there and get a little wet, then they run and get a hot dog. Now listen, I, I could go for a hot dog if I could just taste it. But the fun is in the deep end. Come jump in the deep end with us. I mean, come jump in the deep end of the church of Jesus Christ. Will we just take from it, get what we can, or will we engage with it and join in with it? You see, Jesus years ago launched an impossible plan that has proven to be incredibly possible. Will you engage with us? Will you join in a small group? Will you participate in ministry? Start simple. Next week, we have, you know, back to church Sunday, trying to see where the church is at. Invite somebody. I'm going to start our series next week that's geared for you to bring someone, but trust me, for you as well, we're going to answer some of those questions that people oftentimes say, well, I'm not sure I can believe in the Christianity thing because I got this personal question. We're going to answer those questions. Will you engage in the church of Jesus Christ? Find your place to serve. Find that small group. It was God's plan, and it's a possible plan, and it works, and it changes lives. Stand, please. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we can look back and we see this incredible history. And I must confess to you that sometimes what's bewildering to me, we look back through scripture and we see this incredible history of the church and yet I see so many Christians that won't engage in the story. They won't engage in the plan. They won't engage in the church. Now is our moment. Father, raise up more and more people who will say, you know what? I have one life to live. I've got one life to give Jesus Christ. I'm all in. And may we see your story continue to change lives. Dismiss us in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.